Hello everybody and welcome to Words Over Whiskey episode 18. I'm your host Henry and as usual I'm joined by co-host Tom. Tom, Hello. how are you? I'm good, how are you Henry? I'm well thanks. It's, it's a little bit longer since uh, our last episode because we've been both busy with work so finally found a moment we were free and could sit down and enjoy a whiskey. <laughs> to enjoy a whiskey and uh, some words over that whiskey, of course. Oh yes, um, of course, yes. Words over whiskey. Not, not, not getting drunk. No, not, not, not at all. <laughs> the whiskey we have this week, we have actually tried before, but because of sort of, in a way, its unusualness and how we've we'd never had something quite like this before, we agreed that we had to talk about it on the podcast. So the yeah. Uh, the whiskey we have this week is a uh, Glen Scotia. It's a single malt Scotch whiskey, and it's the Campbelltown Harbour one uh, of their uh, of their range. And yes, this was the first uh, Glen Scotia I've ever had. Um, I do actually have a couple of other bottles. Uh, one from the 2021 Malts Festival, and another uh, semi limited edition one that I picked up. Uh, a few months back, but I haven't haven't tried those ones yet. I'm surprised. Yes, yeah, I think I think because they're sort of semi limited edition, I'm kind of holding off on trying them, particularly whilst I've got this this one open as well. Um, so okay, I thought I'd enough, enough. I thought I'd finish this bottle before I go. Occasion. Yes, yeah, Special that was occasion. Like you yeah. get a new house, or you finally quit your job. <laughs> Don't you mean get a new job? Not not quit yeah, it. Yeah, that too. <laughs> But yes, we tried this one a few, oh, about, yeah, probably uh, just not long after the previous episode, and we just kind of quite enjoyed the uniqueness of it. So, Glen Scotia, it is one of only three uh, Campbelltown distilleries that are still operational. So, in Campbelltown, it is one of the five whiskey producing regions of Scotland. I'm mi- mixing in the trivia here with the bottle itself. So, there used to be 30. Uh, distilleries in Campbelltown but various uh, things such as competition from the other regions and other distilleries I think American Prohibition meant quite a few of them fell on hard times in the 1920s and so had to uh, shut down but the three that are still operational are Springbank, Glengyle and Glen Scotia the latter is the one we are trying today. I think Springbank is actually very hard to get hold of. Uh, I've heard. I've never tried. I've never tried it, but I think it has quite a good reputation. Ooh. I think the bottles fly off the shelf apparently when it is available. But anyway, so this it's described as on the box as a classic Campbelltown malt. It's matured in ex bourbon casks, and it is described as with a hint of sea spray and gentle smoke now uh i think we'll we'll do our usual sniff test and our taste test and then we'll sort of explain why we really like thought this, this was quite a quite a unique and interesting whiskey so i can't make a nice bottle sound i'm afraid oh yes oh yeah i sent you a little sample i, I don't worry I, I can do it i've got the bottle here so three two Rely on you. one Yay! I had actually already poured my glass, but I do love the <laughs> bottle though, because right at the bottom, it's almost um, uh, it is sort of I don't know, don't know whether I say inscribed, but there is like a 
picture printed on it of a harbour with ships and rigging and everything on it. It, it looks lovely. Um, I will definitely be keeping this bottle afterwards and I think possibly put some uh, lights in it as that I think that could look quite nice on my bookshelf. Uh, anyway, rate the bottles. On... We said rate the bottles. Would you say this is the uh, prettiest bottle uh, had on the podcast? Because I'm thinking the Eagle Rare bottle was really nice. The e- um, yes, it, it's sim- it's similar to the Eagle Rare. So you know, on the Eagle Rare, it has sort of the white uh, etching uh, almost, etch- uh, almost like an etching of the eagle. This is the same, but it is of uh, it's right at the bottom of the ships and the harbour and everything. And I think that's one of the reasons I like it so much. I think we can yes. agree the worst bottle design is Nicker from the Barrel because it was just so hard to pour. Yes, it wasn't not the easiest to pour, but I do kind of like it's just like a small, compact little square bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I do you think I have one. Um, go I on. have one somewhere with some lights in it. I can't remember where it is at the moment. All right, uh, we will give this a smell and a taste test, and then we will, as I said, describe why we found this quite interesting so on the nose you you definitely i'm definitely getting a bit of salt briny saltiness <laughs> i am um, sniffed too hard there and i'm trying not to sneeze <laughs> did you just get the pure alcohol smell from it i was getting quite a lot of salt actually my nose was like oh oh god didn't expect this yeah it, it, it does it reminds me of a sea breeze but with a bit of a uh, smoke thrown in as well just just as it describes sea spray and gentle smoke but that is actually quite a quite a nice i i, I do feel like i'm by the seaside when i sniff this glass it is like I, i'm in a harbor at a seaside restaurant and i can smell the salt in the air it's really quite pleasant reminds me of uh, cornwall which is nice i can definitely get the smoke in this as well Mm, it's not overpowering though. It is just a sort of a no, hint right. of it, a gentle as the right. box would describe. I'm trying it. No. Oh, you really I get the like salt it. on the aftertaste, don't you? Mm. It really has that salty, briny aftertaste. And I think that's why we wanted to talk about it because I've never tried a whiskey that I'm like it. It, it tastes salty, like see, it's been made with seawater, but it's not unpleasant. It's actually quite unique and really yeah, nice I it's very unique i've not had a whiskey quite like this before and it's it's really different to anything we've we've had before on the podcast which is why i was like we just have to talk about this and it, yeah it does it tastes like it's been made with salt water and if you run it under your tongue before you swallow it, it you really get that briny salty taste but it's 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 nice i i could imagine it being paired with like a a fish dish or something like that not that you really go about pairing whiskey with dishes but i could see this one with a nice uh fish dish by the sea and you you then get that sort of gentle as you swallow it you get that gentle warmth and that little bit of smoke you get that smoke coming through and the gentle warmth of it as it goes down it's not overly peated but it's it's really really quite not something something nice and something unique as we've said so is that is this whole kind of um, briny taste? Is that unique to Glen Scotia? Do you think, or is that a um, what did you say, uh, Camden Town uh, style? I think the Campbelltown. Uh, Campbelltown, sorry. 
uh, style is that they, because they are by the sea, uh, they do have this briny maritime influence. But then you have other uh, scotches uh, that claim that as well, like Talisker, uh, that it's made near the sea and they say that it has a impact upon their uh, the flavour um, of the whiskey. I have to admit, it's been quite some time since I've had a Talisker. I should definitely pick one up again. But I do remember it being quite peaty. I think it was one of the first peated whiskies I tried. Um, I can't really remember it tasting salty or briny, but granted, this was a few years ago before I was sort of began to develop my whiskey palate. So I'll, that's why I'll have to go back. back then. <laughs> I was, I was, but well, I was a novice back then, and I'm trying to expand yeah. my knowledge now. Um, yeah, I think the. Campbelltown region is described as having these briny and seaside elements uh, impacting its flavour, but there are other regions of uh, Scotland and distilleries that sort of claim that there's also that impact. But yeah, it'll be we'll have to uh, if I ever see a spring bank, I'll have to try and get get a, a dram to try or the Glengyle. I think it was Glengyle. Let me have a quick be look. Be careful, though. The, the spring bank fly off the shelves, apparently. Yeah, Glengarl. I have to see if I can ever get one of those. But now it, it makes me intrigued to try the uh, the two other Glen Scotias I've got tucked away. But uh, <laughs> maybe an, another time, another time, I think. But this, I, you know, I'm gonna have another sip. Cause, yeah, it's you can almost taste it straight away. The kind of salty, briny influence, and then you get the the bit of smoke. And um, I, I actually thought it was a little bit sweet at one point as well. Is that just yeah, my so, very inexperienced random palate that's <laughs> throwing me off? I don't know whether I'd call it sweet. I'd say sort of uh, malty. I don't know. I, I thought I had a hint of caramel, but that soon f- f- faded. Um, yeah, I got the same, a slight hint of caramel. Mm, sort of in the in between, between the salty and the peaty, there's a sort of. There's another flavour, but I can't. Of- Sweetness. Yeah, I can't put my finger on the right descriptor for it, but no. Yes, that's why we we wanted to talk about this because it was just so different from anything we've had, but it was also really enjoyable as well because of that. And uh, yeah, I will I will definitely pick up another bottle of this at some point once I get through uh, my ever, or I can add it to my ever expanding collection as I'm. I'm gradually accumulating more bottles than I'm getting through. <laughs> I think you're the same, aren't you, Tom? Mm. Yep. Although it might just be that I'm trying to control myself and not drink them all at once now. <laughs> mm. So, Do you got any whiskey conti- trivia for me today, Henry? Well, that kind of was my trivia, the bit about the uh, Campbelltown and there being uh. originally having been 30 distilleries and now there are only three. So I thought I would tie that bit of... Tie it all together, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, But continuing the uh, whiskey discussion, uh, in the previous Ooh. episode, I'd uh, asked you what was the first book you remember reading. And so my question this time, but connected to whiskey, is what is the first whiskey you remember having drunk or having tried. Oh, you're not going to like this, Henry. I, I'm i going to take a guess here. Is it Jack Daniels? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking about... Um, it's a few year, quite a few years ago now. 
and I was thinking about how much money I was wasting on beer and cider and how much my it was making my belly grow. I had a proper beer belly. Um, so I was like, you know what, I, I, I need to drink because, of, you know, I, that's part of me now. Um, but I can't keep drinking this stuff. So I thought, you know, I'll start getting into whiskey. So someone left a bottle of Jack around my flat one after one after a night. And I thought, you know what, I'll try whiskey. And I was drinking Jack Neat and I was Jack Daniels Neat. And I was like, oh, how can anyone drink this? How can anyone drink this? Um, but I forced myself to keep going. So then when you introduced me to whiskeys, I think well, I think you made me drink um, Tullamore Gio or something first, was it? I think Tullamore... I, like, my, I think Tullamore was probably what convinced you that whiskey is... <laughs> or was the one you were like, oh, I could actually drink. Although did, you, did, I, um, did I give you a Glenfiddich? Was it a Glenfiddich one oh, time? It might that be we... yeah. I think I've been drinking this Jack and crying, um, but then I was like to you, yeah, 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 I drink whiskey, I drink whiskey. So you were like, right, and you got me this Glenfiddich. I think that was it. Yeah, I think I think and... we were on a night out or something and yeah. uh, at the pub and you were saying you wanted to get into whiskey and I think, yeah, I got you uh... Glenfiddich. And then from there, I think I introduced you to Tullamore, which was, I said, this is a good introductory whiskey. And from there, you've kind of, your journey... With whiskey is kind of Began. expanded. Yeah. Um, well, after I was drinking all that, all the Jack Daniels, which really, really does need a mixer, I'm afraid. The Glen, the Glenfiddich, and the Tullamore see just tasted so much better. That's um, the thing. I never. I don't think I've ever had Jack Daniels neat. I think I've only ever had it with Coke. And uh, yeah, it's not my go-to drink of choice <laughs> on a night out. I think it was. It's, it was bought for me, and it has been bought for me, but I don't go and order, specifically order it. Yeah, I thought I thought it might be Glenfiddich because I think a lot of Glenfiddich Twelve in particular is a lot of people's introduction to whiskey because just so many places have it. It's kind of a very recognisable bottle, um, mm. and uh, it was actually my. It's the earliest whiskey that I do remember trying. I think my parents had a, a bottle of it, um, and I. For, I think for a while I had wanted to try whiskey because it sort of there was just this thing about it that uh, I don't want to necessarily it's got this reputation, hasn't it? This um, yeah, some sort of prestige, the, classiness, yeah. and that it's meant to be really good and quite fancy. And I was like, okay, when I can drink. So when I turned eighteen, I wanted to try it. So we had this bottle of it. Um, I think it was actually one of their older bottles because the design on it was completely different. I I regret that we haven't got the bottle anymore. I wish I'd kept it because it was the old design. Um, and I tried it and I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. I quite quite enjoyed this. And I think it was. And I think a friend had just given me a bottle of blended scotch. I can't. I think it, I can't even remember what type it was. I think it was actually like a Tesco's own brand one because i think that my friend happened to work at tesco at the time but it wasn't actually bad and i quite enjoyed it and then so when i would go out and everything i'd try different whiskies and from there i got a reputation as a whiskey drinker so like <laughs> every every subsequent like christmas and birthday from there on i'd be getting different bottles of whiskey so usually i get quite a few for my birthday and christmas and i don't I have to go out and buy myself some, although of course I still do. But well, yeah, if, I... if you have too many bottles, Henry, I, I would happily help you out with them. <laughs> but 
But yeah, it's, I'm uh, prepared to make that sacrifice in the name of friendship. <laughs> but yeah, I think like many other people, Glenfiddich 12 was my first uh, whiskey. But I've just been because I I love the craft, I love the history of it, and I I love the, trying all the different flavors. I've just been since there, I've become a bit of a fanatic going about trying <laughs> different whiskies and trying to learn more about it. But, I've and always so, wanted to ask, why is the Glenfiddich bottle in a triangle shape? Or the box, at least. How do you not remember? We even had this on our very first <laughs> trivia thing, where I gave you ten questions. Our very first? You mean over a year ago? Uh, yes. It was when we first introduced the trivia. I think it was the end of the year. I gave you a quiz of ten questions. Um, I believe, if I recall correctly, that the triangle-shaped bottle it is based off of the pillars of whiskey making, which are water, barley, yes. and yeast. I remember uh, now. I, so, uh, Jack Daniels was your first, but it was Glenfiddich and Tullamore that kind of got you into the slightly better side of whiskey. Although I haven't tried Jack Daniels Honey. I think I might quite like that. Uh, it's quite nice as a shot. Um, I think because it's sweet and I do have a bit of a sweet tooth, but uh, yeah, I, it's not a, again, it's not a go-to drink for myself. Yes, although I think this uh, Glen Scotia could be quite a go-to. Sorry, having another. So if you walked into a bar and they had every whiskey you've ever tr- tasted on their menu, which one would you order? Would, that, would it depend on what your moods or would you be, is there one that you'd just be like, yeah, that one? I think there is one I tried recently uh where i went to a special tasting event it was a 23 year old deanston i think it was at oloroso cask finish hang on actually i've got a tiny tiny sample left of it here yes oloroso finish 23 year old deanston uh the i the smell of it i could have just luxuriated in for <laughs> hours uh it smelt so good and it if I can find a cologne well. that smells of that whiskey, I promise you I'll get it for you, Henry. You'll <laughs> be spraying it all around yourself all day. Or an air freshener, an air freshener that smells of that whiskey. Yeah, it, it. I have a tiny bit left in the little sampling bottle and it is. Uh, it was so nice and it, it just smells fantastic, it tastes fantastic. Uh, I think it's also the most expensive whiskey I've tried to date. I think it, a bottle of it was about £150. So yes, it's the, it is currently, to this to the date, the oldest and most expensive whiskey I've tried. Granted, because I, <laughs> I can't afford super expensive whiskies uh, as much as I would like to. Um, but yeah, what about you? Well, if you had uh, a bar full of all the whiskies that you've tried, or what would you be your go-to? Lagavulin. Lagavulin. What, uh, what Lagavulin, age? I think it was um, 15 or 20 year. can't remember mm. which one I tried. Probably the 15. But it's such, such, a, com- such, a, such a complex taste. Yeah. Um, Lagavulin is one you've constantly shouted praises for to me uh, outside of uh, the podcast. And yeah, it's one I still need to try. So there we go. That could be a, a future a future one at some point. Yeah, it really was good. A little bit smoky, just mm. to warn you now. Mm. Well, I think that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm. I want to kind of because I've I've kind of put off trying smoky ones for 
a while. I kind of want to get into tr- sampling more of them just to find out if there are ones I, I like or, uh, yeah, just I just want to sample all the whiskeys, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, you want uh, all the whiskey. I want all the whiskeys. I want to become a whiskey connoisseur. Anyway, moving on from whiskey, we are here. We are still here to talk about books. And so in our previous episode, we had both agreed to reread Lord of the Rings. Now, I think I was about 10 when I first read it. And so that's been over a decade now. Yeah, not to was, say how I old I I was a bit older than 10, but I think it's also been about a decade for me since I read it. Yes. And I have to say, like, I can, there's so many bits. Oh, we, we are going to go in spoilers territory, territory here right off I the bat. I think most people know most of the film, uh, have seen the films or, or at least know books. most of what happens. And know the story. But uh, if not, uh, you are forewarned that we will just be diving straight into spoilers here. I had completely forgotten how many parts of the book I didn't actually remember. I think because... You'd forgotten the- how much you'd forgotten. Yes, because there were certain. You, like sm- there- you sound like Gandalf. You sound like Gandalf. When he in the two towers, when he comes back, doesn't he say, "Oh, I've remembered, but what I've forgotten. I've forgotten, but what I've remembered, or something like that. Something ridiculous." <laughs> he just sounded I like him. Then I was like, "All right, Henry. all right, Gandalf, Henry." Or is he? Or is he says in the uh, in the first book, "I have no memory of this place." <laughs> I have no memory of this place. I I found the uh, the latter half of the book. It kind of, I think the start of it, I found a bit slow. I think you mm-hmm. said the same thing to me. I found, I think, it, I found the latter half where it kind of picked up more with where a lot of what the film did. It began where they're going through the mines of Moria and where they're on the boats and they go through Lothlorien. I found that yep. felt a bit quicker and a bit pacier because they were actually on their journey. They were going um, at a faster pace, whereas. The bits where it was Tom Bombadil and the Barrows and going through Bree and everything, it kind of felt quite stretched out. And yeah, those no, were the bit. I, I get that, that. Those were certain parts, like, like Tom Bombadil and the Barrows, and even a few other smaller bits. Um, I just I completely forgotten about because I think I'm so used to. Cause I've seen the film like maybe two dozen times, or because I just love them so much, and I just think what was done so well in the films was just streamlining them really well. Well, not only that, but um, the whole uh, parts of the story between the beginning and the Council of Elrond in Rivendell is, what, the first half an hour of the film? You're not even half. But it's, but it's more about half than the book. half of the book. Yeah, and that's what I found really surprising. Like, that, that the most iconic parts of the film are actually not exactly glossed over but certainly do are not spend you do, you do not spend as much time on them in the book they're not they're not don't seem to be as much of the focus yeah what did you think of the um the the writing style because what I've, i i i do i do like tolkien's descriptions of the landscape like i can i feel like i can picture them very well of course it is influenced by the films as well but I do find he spends a lot of time talking about scenery and every <laughs> character has, spends a lot of monologuing. They just um, talk and talk and talk. Yes, I have to admit, I found that, I found that too. 
And I actually found most, uh, I think, it, as I said to you earlier, I think it might have just been the fact that I often struggle to reread things. I've got quite a good, although selective, memory. And so I'd be reading bits like, ah, yes, I remember this mountain. <laughs> I remember this river. Uh, um, and I would start to get frustrated that I just want something to happen. And yeah. rather, and although I'm not saying that it's bad writing at all, because it's not, and he does do a wonderful job of bringing Middle Earth to life, but I have to admit, I, I did struggle mm. on the reread. Yeah, um, I think I found the first half a bit slow, and it took me a while. And like like I said, I found the second half where it got a, a lot of the they took a lot of influence for the films. That's where I began to oh, I kind of remember this and it this is where a bit more is happening um, and I found myself reading quicker. Yep. I'd like for a second to talk about the storytelling in general rather yep. than just rather than focusing on the writing. The storytelling is actually really, really smart and clever and um, basically ticks all the boxes that you need in order to make a really good story. So, mm. for instance, um, just a portrayal of the magic. Uh, anyone who's ever been interested in writing science fiction and fantasy, but the one of the best things that you need to do is to stick to rules that you set in your world. Obviously, Tolkien, grandfather Tolkien, the, effectively the founder of this genre, is no exception. I mean, what happens when Frodo puts on the ring, Henry? He disappears. Yeah, but. And he sticks to this rule. And he shows there are dire consequences if Frodo does it too much. Do you, what, what are the consequences? Uh, that he's easier for the Nazgul to find. Yeah, um, but there's a worse consequence, which is that if he uses the ring too much, it'll corrupt him and he'll end up like Gollum. And because Gollum is barely seen in the, in, this, in the Fellowship in the first book. And but I think he's just there to show the audience, the reader, why Frodo doesn't just use the ring, just wear it constantly and just walk to Mordor like that. Why why he doesn't use it to get out of every situation. He's just got this constant reminder of the threat that's hanging over Frodo. Yeah. Of being corrupted. And it it's just really clever. Like you don't even realise it, but this is the effect it's having on you. Like mm. you're just reminded of these rules isn't it isn't it um it's kind of like a as you've described to me you have a hard magic system um and yes. a soft magic system and it well actually this book has both the ring uh, and everything associated with the ring is can you guess a hard magic system hard magic because it's got yeah you're right because it's got the rule if you put it on you're invisible but the enemy can find you and it will eventually corrupt you like smeagol and the, these rules they are followed throughout the whole trilogy um, all the way to the end. But yeah. you know what the soft, the soft magic system is? Uh, like Gandalf's magic? Exactly. God knows what Gandalf can do. <laughs> we do not... No. I mean, maybe it's explained more in the Silmarillion. But uh, in this trilogy, we have no idea what he's capable of. Uh, but the, like, the soft e even the, um, even the, him talking about fighting the... Balrog, or when Balrog first appears, he's talking about having he's talking about sealing a door and everything with the spells, ancient... yeah, exactly. But yeah, you but we don't see it happen. It's deliberately, it's off screen, deliberately, no one listening 
really knows what, what he's talking about or how he's doing this. And this is to remind you, the reader, because the point of the story is, Tolkien's idea is that um, you've got these ordinary people, these characters who represent ordinary people, the hobbits, finding themselves in one of the mythical legends that Tolkien was such a fan of. In this case, War of the Ring. So you've got these hugely powerful wizards and elves like Elrond and Gandalf. You've got these amazingly competent archers and rangers and warriors who are all famous with stories about them or their heirs to the throne, etc, etc. And then you've just got a bunch of, um, well, essentially, ordinary people. And I always wondered, why are they taking four hobbits? Okay, if Frodo is really going to be that good as a ring bearer, fine, bring him. But why are they why are they letting the three others come? Why not have three more elves or whatever? And I actually, that's the point of the story. Mm. It's a normal person in a myth and myth, myth and legend, and so having that Gandalf figure as a contrast to the hobbits works really well. It's handled really well, and it lets him get away with this as you say, soft-matic system. For anyone listening who doesn't know what we mean by these terms, a hard-matic system is where you have magic in your story and um, you let the reader know what the rules for using the magic are and you then stick to these rules. So, for instance, everyone knows what the ring can do. And the soft-matic system is where the rules are not defined and it's not quite the same as a plot device, but the reader knows... Or that magic exists, but they don't know how it works yet. It's a very, very loose ter- um, way of describing them. Interesting thing I found with it, like going back to what I said earlier about how I like his uh, descriptions of the landscape and everything. I find that he, it because it is the it is the hero it is the hero's journey. The hero's uh, life gets disrupted by something. They go on this epic quest to slay the dragon become king retreat i'm just i'm just using examples but (laughs) i know i know uh, but what i find is that tolkien he describes the whole journey he describes the areas they're going through every individual day or few days and everything whereas in other books like uh when i was reading best served cold recently they the characters do do a lot of traveling around but it kind of jumps that it's not describing their every move but tolkien is he's talking about the entire journey and (laughs) in a way it can feel slow because you you want a bit of pace you sometimes want a bit of action but at the same time you you do feel like you're taking the journey with these characters the the hills and the mountains and everything they're climbing you kind of do feel very hard very hard to maintain um this pacing when on any sort of travel log without skipping without skipping some of the more uh, uneventful days and also for this many characters. I mean, how many people make up the Fellowship again? Nine. Uh, two, four, nine. Did you, uh, four is eight. Wait, it, no, it's nine because of the uh, nine uh, of the Fellowship against the nine Nazgul. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So you've got these nine characters who are there. You for call a lot yourself of it. eight, and you call yourself a Lord of the Rings fan. 
I got confused because when they get to La Florian, they say, oh, there's eight of you. But that's because Gandalf fell into shadow, I forgot. Mm. Yeah. Are you, are, you, are you glad you reread it? Yes. Yes, because as an adult now, I've grown, to, I've grown to quite a cynical adult. People keep pointing out to me. I do tend <laughs> to be very sceptical, very um, almost negative. But I really liked reading this because they've got this character, Sauron, who is just evil. He is evil, no redeeming qualities. He's just literally this embodiment of evil in the world. All he wants to do is dominate and enslave. And it was just really refreshing for me to just not for not to not have a story uh, who's trying too hard to humanise their antagonists or give them a backstory or otherwise explain why they're doing bad things. No, but here we've just got a um, plain old simple morality. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Let's get on. And I actually, for once, found that really refreshing. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, good. No complicated morals or um, black, uh, black, uh, grey um, characters who could be of either um, persuasion. We've just got something simple, easy, clear-cut, binary. We're good. They're bad. Let's go have an adventure. And I actually really. Yeah, it's very black and yeah, white. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, black and white morality. Although, don't want to get in trouble. But I really found it refreshing. Mm. I found a <laughs> one thing <laughs> when I was reading where they're they're talking about Sauron and then they swap to talking oh, about yeah, Saruman. Really confused, I was like, did Tol- did yeah? I was like, did Tolkien really have to name the two bad guys with their names starting with an, with an a S and an R. just to help? Yeah. <sighs> But uh, yeah, no, like I, I quite enjoyed rereading it because it had been, it had been so long since I'd read it, and like I said, there were so many bits I'd I'd forgotten. But in a way, it was kind of refreshing in that way because like, oh, I'd forgotten about that, and oh, it's quite nice to reread that and see the bits I'd forgotten, and yeah, just see the whole journey anew in the, as the in the eyes of an adult really because when I read it I was a kid and yeah 10 years plus later to reread it and still enjoy it and appreciate it for what it was which is still one of the founding best fantasy novels ever really yeah and it's it still endures to this day but uh yeah it 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 was it had it it had its good parts and it's moments that I maybe didn't enjoy as much but yeah it it does it stands the test of time I find I agree and I, I agree it's a glad um, I reread it I, I will reread the others at some other point but well give, uh, give us some time give us some time got some other books by faster pace yeah. stuff first <laughs> yeah sorry what were you going to say before I interrupted um, I was going to say it's a bit like climbing Mount Everest um, for fantasy readers it's a um something you have to say you've done you do it to say i've done it it's not a case of oh i'm, I'm into this sort of thing uh i'm into really big epic fantasies it's a case of i like fantasy i need to read all the rings i've heard yeah or you could say in this case it's like climbing mount doom <laughs> yes 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 the hopefully without the ten thousand orcs this time Yes. Um, 
moving on from that uh, very bad sort of pun, uh, mm-hmm. anything else you've read in the past month that you'd particularly like to talk about? Or um, I've briefly read some Terry Pratchett. I think I've read. Was that Terry. your light heart? Light hearted. Yeah, a bit of brief. a recovery um, <laughs> from fellowship. Something very quick and very simple and very, very different writing. So I really liked a bit of humour in there. I've never actually just... read a Terry Pratchett, apart from Good Omens, which he wrote with Neil Gaiman. I've never read a Terry Pratchett standalone. I highly re- recommend even um, the Discworld books. Isn't that um, quite a long series, though? There's like various spin-offs. Yes, and... yes but... Um... How do I describe this? Um, there's about 20 of them, but they're all very short, very quick reads. Not all of them are sequels. Does that make sense? Like, mm. many of them can be read to stand alone. Not many of them need to be read in a particular order, but some do. Really, you should look at an online guide, I think. Okay, all right. <laughs> Rather than me. I also started reading Sendling ascends by desire bancroft what was that so Sen- Senling ascends yeah by uh, Desi- desire bancroft so the guy's name is Senlin and he ascends um, <laughs> that's quite that's quite a mouthful in a way it is actually especially after some whiskey that is quite difficult to say and it's about a guy who um, ascends sorry about a guy who ascends yes i'm getting to that spoiler alert uh, about a guy who goes on a honeymoon with his wife to this mythical tower called the Tower of Babel. Babel. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, and he loses her and he has to go in the tower and look for her, basically. And stories about what happens to him in the tower looking for her. Oh, this is the one I saw you with the other day and I read the blurb and it did actually sound quite interesting. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I might, I might have to borrow that off of you. It did look quite interesting. You just don't know what's going to happen next. Um, nice. All sorts of so it kind of keeps you stuff. intrigued as to what it keeps you keep. You have the pages to keep turning. Yeah, and not only that, but the author does a really good job of ending each chapter on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Not enough that you'll start to get frustrated or to make it seem too um, too much action. But at the same time, it's like, oh, oh, that's quite important. I think I'll read just one more chapter. Oh, I'm, I better read that bit too, and then oh god, it's three a.m. Oh, okay. So it's almost like it's almost like a good TV series where you yeah. you want to keep keep seeing what happens next, or yeah. So the author does a really good job of keeping me turning the pages. Really, sense of mystery, sense of wonder, really well maintained. Nice. That uh, that sounds good. I think I d- I did read the blurb in it. Um, it did sound quite intriguing. So I might have to. Have to borrow that one from you at some point. Your book pile's growing ever bigger, Henry. You're to be red pile. Yes, uh, yes. I have an entire shelf that is gradually becoming full of uh, books that have either been recommended and I've ended up purchasing or ones that I, I've wanted for a while and have bought. So, <laughs> yes. Just or on one shelf. Well, it's, uh, it's one of those Ikea um, bookshelves where it's like the square cubby holes. So there's like books behind books and books stacked on top of <laughs> books, books on, on books it. And books on books and books behind books. and Books on it, books it, and books upon a shelf. and. When the shelves yeah. are made out of books as well, 
That's when you know it's gone bad. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Um, I think the only... I think as uh, Lord of the Rings took me a while, but so... Uh, although it was quite a long book, uh, this other book I'm about to talk about, but I actually read it quicker than Lord of the Rings, funnily enough, and it was the second in the Ken Follett Century? Uh, is it Century? Trilogy? Oh, God, I can't, I can't remember now. Don't ask me. Uh, yes, Century Trilogy. I was right. But it was Winter of the World, uh, which is the um, sequel to uh, Fall of Giants, which I have talked about on the podcast before. I think it was among my top five books either last... I think it might have been last year. Yeah, Ken Follett book, and it follows uh, five families from around the world during uh, just before World War Two and then throughout and after the end of uh, World War Two. whereas the first book did the same but in World War One. So we are now joining these five families and some of the main characters from the first book but when they're older and once they've had kids themselves and we're now following those their kids uh, story in a way and I just love how Ken Follett interweaves these characters lives together because you have a family from England a family from Wales America Germany Russia and how they're just all interwoven together and they they meet and they interact or they play a part in events which will then affect other characters and it's just so beautifully woven together and crafted so well it's just kept me turning the pages just to see what would happen to the characters and yes i will i really really enjoyed it um such a page turner and very well written and i'm definitely gonna have to uh pick up the final of the trilogy to just see how it ends well um sounds very interesting yeah so it's a it's a historical fiction so all the families are um uh fictional but the events and everything that they go through are historical um, or based off historic events so yes I've tried to convince you to read it before but alas you will not uh, read it <laughs> how many explosions are there uh, well seeing as it follows World War 2 two quite big explosions Tom <laughs> I see yes <laughs> uh, yes uh, but no it's um, really really entertaining and well written so yes i will definitely pick up the final book at some point but that's kind of the only other book of note i've read at the moment um because earlier in the month or uh later last month i, I can't i'm getting confused as to what months earlier in june and we are now in july there was e3 so anyone who is not interested in gaming you can tune out now unless of course <laughs> you want to hear the end where we might have some stuff cool stuff to talk about but otherwise the next part of this podcast is going to be gaming focused now and how, how was e3 for you then henry uh there have been better e3s i think <laughs> i think my overall impression was underwhelming there wasn't really anything i came away with or very few things I came away with, like, oh, that was a heavy hitter from that studio, or oh, that was impressive from that company to show off. There were things th- among it that 
okay, I'm more interested in that now and I'm willing to check that out. Or, oh, something cool to see in the future and see how that progresses or I might have to pick that up. But nothing where I was like, I have to have that game. I cannot wait for that game. So, it's been a long time since I felt like that about a new game. Yeah, so uh, prior to E3, we had uh, the PlayStation State of Play for Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West or Horizon Forbidden West uh, which as regular listeners of the podcast know is my favourite game series <laughs> and I am ecstatic about the next one um, I will briefly touch on it it just it just looks so goddamn gorgeous and the combat and everything looks even more refined the exploration oh it just it just looks so good um, I could spend an entire podcast by itself talking about it so that was on the 14th of June, and then I think uh, E3 kicked off like the next week. So I will start with Ubisoft. Um, I am just going to go through some of the major announcements or what particular ones I picked out, because there's just so much of E3 content to cover, and other people and places and outlets do it so much better than myself. But I'm just going to pick... I've picked out a few. So Ubisoft... They showed off an Avatar game, and I mean Avatar yeah, as in the, me. as in that the James me. Cameron Blue Aliens. Two thousand nine film, wasn't it? Two thousand and nine, and I'm I know there's another one in the works, but it's been so long. I'm just like, really, the kind of hype or any interest for me has personally died down. I was surprised. I was like, okay, I'm intrigued to see what this was, but it was just a cinematic trailer, so I don't even know what the game's about. Are, are you playing the aliens and you're fighting off human invaders or are you the humans and you In can... In the alien attempt- bodies fighting off the human invaders. Yeah. And I don't really... It was just a cinematic trailer. I mean, it looked cool, but at the same time, I'm like, did did we need an Avatar game? I don't didn't hear anyone asking for it. And <laughs> I mean, I love the film. The film is awesome, but I was kind of surprised. <laughs> Uh, I was very surprised. Yeah, uh, this this is something I found funny. So there was Rainbow Six Extraction, which is a PVE spin-off from Rainbow Six, where it's basically three you play as three operators from the main game fighting against these alien zombie things. <laughs> but they had to train change the name to Extraction rather than Quarantine because every, like two months before. Covid and everything kicked off. It being called Rainbow Strict, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and of course, the connotations of what quarantine now means. Yeah. Uh, it they changed it to extractions. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Far Cry Six with Jin Carlo Esposito as the main villain. That I've never actually played a Fallout game, but this Far one Cry. has. Me- Sorry, Far Cry. <laughs> Although I've 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 barely played a Fallout game. Um. Henry, <laughs> I know, I know, uh, but yeah, you can tell the whiskey's kicking in when I'm getting those two mixed up. Mm. Yeah, Far Cry, Far Cry Six, with Gene Carlos Esposito as the bad guy. I've seen some of the trailers, and I have to admit, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm I may this maybe might get me to play because there was a one of the weapons was a weapon where you could shoot records or CDs at people, but whilst they were in the gun it started playing music and I, I just that just made me chuckle you should play um, some of the Borderlands games they've got a gun in there that suits other guns that are in your inventory <laughs> at people uh, well a quick 
aside from that, there was a Borderlands spin-off game. Where it was like a Borderlands D&D inspired uh, <laughs> game. Yep. Somebody's um, Dungeon, wasn't it? Uh, oh, what, the Tiny Tina's? That's it, Tiny Tina's yeah, something. It, it, it's kind of similar to that, but it's its own thing at the same time. Well, who asked for that as well? I mean, I, I love Borderlands games, don't get me wrong, but a, D, a Borderlands D&D experience, but it sounds cool. I'd rather just do it as normal D&D, but yeah. with, with homebrew Borderlands rules. <laughs> Well, you have to check out the trailer and it might be actually what you're after. Maybe I'll change the mind, you're right. Yeah, quickly I'll touch on Square Enix. So they have announced a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, game. And okay. uh, this, uh, unlike the uh, kind of disaster that was the Avengers live service game, this is actually <laughs> a, a story-driven game where you play Star-Lord, but of course you're joined by the other characters of... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and it actually l- looks quite interesting. It looks like it could actually be quite good, and the, the graphics look good. And as it's not focused on just trying to force players to get into a battle pass and buy cosmetics and everything, I think it could actually be quite good, provided the story is uh, well done. Do you um, think it could be one... the next Spider-Man? Quite possibly, yeah. So yeah, so I've could... heard people saying that Guardians of the Galaxy is one of their least favorite of the Marvel films. I don't personally agree. I think it's still pretty good. That's but... interesting that you say that because I haven't heard anyone else say that besides myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we I have do mutual I... friends who uh, think the same. Uh, I do like the Guardians of the Galaxy film, but the first one was massively overhyped for me. And I think it's because everyone's, oh man, it's so good. The soundtrack and everything just fits it so well. Man, it's so it's so good. It's just the soundtrack. And it's just the soundtrack. It's just the soundtrack. Everyone just goes on about the soundtrack. And I will agree. <laughs> the soundtrack is fantastic. But the way everyone hyped it up for me, it was like, oh man, this film's going to be great. I watched it. I agree. The soundtrack is good. It goes well with the film. But the film itself is, yeah, it's okay. It's a solid Marvel film, but... Yeah, it was not nearly on the level of hype that everyone put it up to be, but it's just because everyone was going soundtrack, soundtrack, soundtrack. I'm like, yeah, the soundtrack's good, but the films, yeah, it's all right. But I've seen better Marvel films. And then as soon as yes. I said I didn't like it as much as the people, we're like, <gasps> heresy, how dare you? And it's like, <laughs> it was fine. But the soundtrack alone doesn't make for a great film. <laughs> Uh, it uh, yes. well in box office, though. Yeah, but so yeah, is a single-player Guardians of the Galaxy uh, game coming from Square Enix. They are remastering the very uh, first one to six of the Final Fantasies, which I'm kind of intrigued about because one of my favourite YouTubers goes on about how Final Fantasy VI is one of his favourite games ever. So I'm tempted to possibly pick that up to see what the his hype is about yeah those were the main ones i got from square enix um xbox and bethesda okay they finally gave a teaser trailer and release date for starfield no no i just wanted i I knew you were going to bring this up so i actually really didn't like that teaser trailer for starfield it did it didn't really show much if i'm honest 
So the concept art and interviews with Todd Howard made it sound like Skyrim in space. Like the, the, the concept art shows all sorts of wonderful places like lush jungles or huge, vibrant cities. And then the teaser trailer shows you on a lump of rock, basically. It really didn't show... You, you get to see a ship on what looks like a moon or something. And you go walk inside the ship and it's the most generic sci-fi ship you've ever like seen. Sandwich. Yeah, you look, you look, you look, the look, sandwich look at the shop. sandwich. Yeah, the sandwich shop, which is like to be, oh, we spent hours making this exact cheese texture. Like, that's great, but what gameplay have you got? I don't mm. care about... Well, I mean, I do care about cheese quite a lot. <laughs> but real cheese, maybe not uh, virtual digitally based cheese. Cheese. I'm thinking about cheese now. Anyway, um, compare to the... I suppose you didn't see it and definitely didn't share in the hype when it was revealed, but the revealed trailer for Fallout 4... No, I still I remember off. that. Oh, you do? Do you remember how much things they showed off in that reveal trailer? They showed off weapons. They showed off features. They showed off game locations, characters, new graphics, new and improved, well, I suppose where Bethesda's concerned, bugs and features kind of overlap, but you get what I mean. <laughs> so, and, and then they said, oh yeah, it's going to be revealed in a few months' time. It was literally, I was like, I, I couldn't, I could barely contain the hype. Everyone else in the sixth form common room turned around to me to shut up. But I was so happy. And compare and contrast to Starfield, where essentially we learned nothing. Apart from the release date. And then everyone's describing, oh, it's going to be like Indiana Jones adventure in space. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, there, there wasn't really. Mean? They're going to be chased by giant rocks? Like. I... I don't know. P- probably if you're in a spaceship and there's an asteroid. Maybe. But I just want... I want something like Mass Effect. Basically. <laughs> something like Mass Effect 2, but made by Bethesda. That's what I want to say. I, and also, they came with the announcement that it's going to be an Xbox app exclusive, although it will also be available on PC. Xbox which actually, Game that, Pass exclusive. Yeah, but that that caught me by surprise because I thought, Not oh wow! Me. I think I called that. I called that in the last podcast episode, which you confirmed mm, for me earlier. Not staff. It... Not Starfield. You said, oh, I'm worried that they're gonna make the next um, Fallout and uh, Elder Scrolls games uh, exclusives, but we saw neither hide nor them. we saw neither hide nor hair for those. Well, um, I think I think it was. Pete Hines, who did actually say on the screen, Pete Hines being one of the creative leads or directors or a really important person for Bethesda, and he actually said on screen, yeah, so the projects you're waiting to hear about in Fallout and Elder Scrolls are still happening. But we want to talk about this stuff. And I was just like, no! Yeah, they're just they're just waiting for a better time to uh, show those off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been waiting for so... I've been waiting for 10 years for another Elder Scrolls game, literally. Yeah, I still need to go and finish the main quest in Skyrim. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's completely optional. But you definitely need to play it more. <laughs> Thing is, when I, whenever I play Skyrim, I have a massive binge of it, and then I just drop it for like a year, two years, before yeah, I go back yeah, and play the, anymore. And then I come back and I'm like, where, where the hell am I? And I just end up restarting and not really getting any further. In the words of Gandalf, I have no memory of this place. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I've actually seen, seen a meme of that exact scene of Gandalf, but they've edited it, so instead of holding his staff, 
he holds an AK-47. And I think the captain is going to play Fallout after months of Elder Scrolls. Because Gandalf kind of, when he looks around, kind of looks at his staff as well in confusion. So he's got Gandalf <laughs> holding this AK instead of it. Like, I have no memory of this. Uh, dear. What else from the Xbox? Uh, Forza Horizon 5, um, driving game. It's a racing it, game to me. Just yeah, a racing it, game to me. Any fans it, it, of Forza can let us know what, if there's anything different about it. I mean, it looked really nice, and it's apparently set in Mexico, uh, but yeah, I've never played a Forza game, but it looks good. Uh, Probably a more accurate depiction of street races than Fast and Furious. <coughs> Battlefield 2042, they showed off. I'm keeping my hype tempered yes. or lowed at the moment because I got burnt by the previous Battlefield games where I got super overhyped on them and then didn't particularly enjoy Battlefield 1 or 5. I know 1, it's very comfortable controversial to say that but five less so <laughs> but yeah i uh i actually preferred bad company battlefield three and four to those ones and uh i've i haven't enjoyed battlefield for a while unfortunately when it used to be one of my favorite series so i'm i'm keeping my expectations tempered particularly when i found out it's multiplayer only no campaign <laughs> Full price, and then they want you to get the battle pass on top of it. And I was like, oh, "You really crying. don't like battle passes or season passes or DLC, do you, Henry?" <sighs> I don't. I don't mind like DLC if there is a good amount of gameplay there. It's like with uh, the Witcher, uh, like Witcher Three or Horizon Zero Dawn, where I've thoroughly enjoyed their the game to that point, and I will happily pay more for that Buy content more. but but when yeah. battlefield 2042 is releasing with seven maps no campaign and then they're bringing this sort of oper- operator class system sort of like rainbow six i don't quite get it and it's going all cosmetic just so ea can probably pump you for money <laughs> for loot boxes and everything i'm just i'm getting tired of that and it, I'm just you can't afford it, it, it either. No, yeah, I I agree. It looks fantastic, and maybe once it's out and I see reviews coming in, I, maybe I will pick it up and I might get it on a console so I have more friends to play it with. But I, I'm I'm kind of over the battlefield hype. Uh, it looks really. chaotic with the ridiculous weather, tornadoes. Yeah, dust that's storms, that's what I thought. It, it it just it just looks like a bit mad chaotic as you said i'm just like it doesn't feel like the battlefield games that i used to really enjoy what else what else halo infinite um they showed off only a very brief sort of cinematic bit for the campaign again but what they did reveal was that the this was very interesting it was the multiplayer is going to be free and it's going to be on xbox and pc so i might be tempted to pick it up Give on it pc and give it a try. Yeah, and, also, as well. and although they did announce battle passes for it, apparently once you buy the buy them, it's it continues. So I'm guessing like you might have a season, but then you can buy it and you can unlock everything in it even after that season has ended. I don't quite know, but as it's free, I'm willing to. I'm quite possibly for the first time ever going to jump into a Halo game because I've I did not grow up with Xboxes, so I've. As Not many really. players do, I have a lot of memories from um, Halo multiplayer, Halo Three, Halo Reach, especially, especially Halo Reach. Yeah, the only I time I ever played 
Halo was playing Halo Reach around a friend's house. Um, I played a bit of the campaign, quite a bit of the multiplayer, but no, I've never oh, owned a Halo so game. Good. You make me feel nostalgic, Henry. What else? Uh, Nintendo, they announced a new Metroid game, Metroid Gred, uh, Gred, Dread, sorry, Metroid Dread, which is a 3D, it's got 3D graphics, but it's from a 2D perspective. Uh, I remember... The, um, up the uh, uh, E3 summer, summary I read described it as a um, teaser treat to keep fans entertained until they bring the proper Metroid game out. Mm. Until is it Metroid Four or Metroid Five? Yeah, mm. that they're still working on. They're like, oh, we need more time. Uh, have this one. Yeah. Oh, we I, made I it still... quirky because it's back to the whole platformer thing. But I'm like, that just makes it easier for you to make. Yeah, I still remember playing my first Metroid game on a Game Boy Advance, and I never played Metroid. It, it, it to be honest, it was the only one ever I, I ever played, and I never got far because when I was about eight or nine when I had it I couldn't get very far and I didn't really know what I was meant to be doing so I kept mm. dying and it kept on restarting me I was like what, what, why am I here why am I back at the start <laughs> what? Uh, it was probably yeah. a save feature that you didn't hadn't worked out yet yeah I think they announced a new Mario Party game they announced another Mario plus Rabbits game a new Wario game um, and they're their kind of finishing thing was Breath of the Wild 2, uh, which doesn't have a full name yet, um, but it's just been, I think everyone's just calling it Breath of the Wild 2, and it did look quite interesting, um, a lot of new content in it, definitely. Uh, I did recently finish Breath of the Wild 1, uh, I have quite mixed feelings about that game, parts of it I really enjoyed, other parts I didn't. And so I'm going to wait to see more of Breath of the Wild 2 before I kind of jump on any hype train for hype that. Hype train, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's pro- probably one I will wait until it's released and see how it goes. Apart from that, other major announcements. There was a Death Stranding director's cut has been announced. Uh, there was a really cool... Uh, I think it's kind of like an indie game that was shown in the Xbox showcase, which I kind of bookmarked because I thought, oh, that looks really cool. It's called Replaced, and it's a 2D kind of sort of uh, pixel sort of cartoony cyberpunk vibe-like game. But the premise is you're an android that is trapped in a human's body, and it's sort of very cyberpunk-esque. It looked... It was only a sort of a teaser trailer for it, but it, it don't make a good book or film actually or show yeah it it really caught my eye because it's like oh this looks quite cool and then i've heard stuff about it and i was like that's that's why i'm gonna keep a keep my eyes on because it looks interesting and of course another major announcement from this e3 was finally a full length trailer for elden ring along with it a sort of it showed what some of the combat and stuff might look like as well so Elden Ring looks- is the from software game, so the people who made Dark Souls and everything, and uh, it is in collaboration with George R. R. Martin. Uh, I know what you're going to say, Tom. It looked just like a Dark Souls game. <laughs> it did. It just looked the same. If you, in fact, if you showed me the trailer for Elden Ring, obviously cut out the part where it says Elden Ring, and you showed me the trailer for Dark Souls 3, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you which is which, except I imagine you die more in Dark Souls. 
even even in the, even in the trailer, I have played Dark Souls, not for long before I screamed in frustration. But I definitely don't worry. I was the, I, I was the same with Bloodborne. I kind of played like an hour of it. I died a few times. I was like, I have no clue where I'm going, what I'm meant to be doing. I tried to upgrade my equipment for some reason. It didn't seem to work, and I just like, <laughs> what am I meant to doing? What's the story here? And I shut it off because I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah, but. I sort of, I, I get the same thing from Dark Souls. That's why I'm a little bit disappointed with Elden Ring because I'm just like, I kind of want from my RPGs. Yeah, I get exploration's cool. But I kind of want people to stop and talk to. I kind of want, I don't just want continual brutal challenges. I kind of want to be able to relax in games, if that makes sense, sometimes. <laughs> But did you really expect anything different from the company who are known for Dark Souls and Bloodborne and Demon Souls? I I was expecting that sort of vibe, but I was hoping with the influence of George R. R. Martin, there might be more story focused. But I think he's kind of more involved with the building of the world building and they've uh, built the game around the world he made. I think he's just a figurehead. I think they've paid him to use his name. He may have done some work, but considering what we how long it takes him to actually write anything, I doubt he's done much work on the game at all. I th- I think he wrote like a bit of the background for the world and helped them establish that and then they kind of took that and then they've gone and, and built it more. So I don't think he's written the main story. I think he's just written like influences for the world and everything at least that's what i've gathered from interviews where he's talked about it but in that case yeah he's barely been involved really they've yeah, made the story I, they've made the world they've i'm in the game i'm intrigued to see more and see what it looks like when it's played and whether there'll be another trailer and everything i think again it's one i'm gonna wait until it's released because they if it's like oh yeah it's like dark souls and you're just gonna die constantly and you have to kind of dig for the story then i'm it's it's not for me. I do need kind of like a main story to grip me um, and keep me going. But if it's like, oh yeah, you, you, there is a story, but you have to search for it, I'm less interested. I don't um, mind a grind. Don't get me wrong, I'm no stranger to the grind. But at the same time, if the grind is too difficult um, and not really worth it, if I've still got to dig for that story, again, I'm not going to invest my valuable time yeah so so yeah there was um what else and there was the state of play which was just a few another state to play which was on the 8th of july it was very indie focused uh lots of indies there was moss book 2 which is a vr game tribes of midgard which seems kind of interesting which was an action survival rpg of some sort sort of based around Norse mythology with classes and you have a survival mode and a story mode. This one seemed quite interesting. It's called Hunter's Arena Legends. It's like a it's like a fighting game, but it's also a battle royale and it's coming free on PS Plus uh, next month for both P- PS4 and PS5 uh, players. So I'm tempted to pick that up and give it a try because it looked quite interesting. There was another one called Jet the Far Shore, which was the sort of space planet exploration game where you're riding around in a little ship and there's a sort of story to go along with it. But you can get out the ship and explore the planet. And I think you're 
you're not necessarily engaging in combat, but you're trying to avoid situations where you might get destroyed or you might get eaten by using various... Was it various... E3 last year where there was a game uh, about a person who crash-landed on a planet? I think, yeah. Whenever they died, they replayed... They started again from... The oh, no. Day when they you're thinking of Returnal, which uh, uh, was released on PS... Yes, released on PS5 a few months ago, and I think it's got uh, quite it's got very positive reviews, and I've heard a lot of good things about it. This uh, okay, because I've not heard a single thing about it since this revealed trailer. Yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder what's happened to that game. Uh, no, it yeah, came out and, I, and it's been quite positively received. Um, what else? Uh, Sifu, which is like a kung fu sort of martial arts game, but it's like every time you die, you kind of age like a few years, so your character gradually gets older and older. But yeah, it looks cool. Um, but then the main thing they showed off in this uh, state of play was Deathloop. Again, uh, they've been pushing that game quite hard. PlayStation, I think it is a PlayStation exclusive for at least a year. This but made by Arcane Studio, who are the company who did. Uh, dishonored and you can definitely tell that they're influencing it particularly like some of the powers and abilities of the main characters i i'm glad because it, it clarified some of the uh aspects i was confused by in previous trailers like you're playing a assassin who's stuck in a death loop so, um to his obje- yeah objective is to hunt down these eight people on the island of killers and so he can escape the death loop, but simultaneously there's another assassin who's hunting him down. And I was like, but who plays the other assassin? Is it another player or is it part of the story where the uh, computer controls? And it turns out it's both. You can have other players jump in as the assassin who are trying to hunt you down in your game, or it's the AI controlled and it is part of the story. Um, so so yeah. am I correct in saying... So the story mode is just you're on a map, you've got to kill eight people before you're killed, and if you fail, you have to start again from the beginning, and it's just that on a loop, essentially. Yes, but you can also get uh, abilities and upgrades and everything like that, plus there is a story, um, I imagine, like hidden among it, and you have to do a bit of exploring to find that, and uh, you'll sort of learn it as you go as well. Because it sounds like it doesn't have much depth, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, you can go and explore and find maybe some lore or something. But on the face of it, it's kill eight people before you're killed. And each time you do it, I guess it will get a bit easier. But when you've unlocked all the abilities and you kill all eight people and the other assassin, what then? Uh, I'm guessing the story will show you. <laughs> so I'm just thinking in a Dishonored game killing eight people does not take very long <laughs> first right. few minutes of a mission in fact yeah but the um, in this it's like it's not just like it's you and eight other people on this island there's a bunch of other people who are all trying to kill you but you have to take out these eight main targets and then there's another assassin who's also trying to kill you and they've got magical powers oh, like see. you as well um, You've got a load of people to kill your way through to get to them. Yeah, so it's it's one PlayStation have been pushing for quite a while, and they keep. Sh- I I kind of I don't know. Like I know Arcane Studio are quite popular, and the Dishonored games are really good. 
oh they're very high praised but i don't know i'm just i'm just kind of i don't know whether i will pick it up or not and maybe again one to wait for reviews for but yeah those those were kind of the main big ish games that and in all ones that interested me that i picked up from e3 i it wasn't like previous years with many heavy hitters like God of War or a new Elder Scrolls or anything like that. There were some interesting games, ones I want to keep my eye on and everything, but nothing where I was like, oh man, oh wow, I've really got to play that or something. If, like I said, a few to keep my eye on, but nothing where I'm like, oh my god, I'm so hyped, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you include Horizon, but yeah, I think you're probably yeah, the same, the same as... Uh, unfortunately not I think mm. I think it's anticipated towards the end of the year so I'm predicting November but I don't I it, it might possibly be delayed because I mean God of War 2 or God of War Ragnarok whatever it's going to be called um, has already announced that they're delaying it to next year uh, Horizon is kind of still up in the air I think they're aiming for the end of this year but they've said that it could possibly be delayed I don't mind if it is because one it gives me a chance to get a ps5 and two i just prefer <laughs> it if it was a if it leads it to being a better game well my favorite games are either western rpgs like oh, i've got some fallout or um nintendo games actually my guilty pleasure and there's very few of either revealed at the c3 or at least mm. n- n- none from franchises that I'm a fan of. Yes, no Fallout so, or Elder Scrolls for you. Yeah, no um, Animal Crossing news, no Pokemon news, although we did get lots of Pokemon news earlier this year. Um, nothing like that. So all my major franchises were not mentioned. That's very sad. Yeah. Any Any games that did stand out to you or anything you're interested in keeping an eye on? Only Starfield, really. Mm. I hope that they reveal a bit more about it, and as soon as bloody possible. Yeah. Apart from that, I watched a um, summary video of E3 earlier today to prepare myself for the podcast, and I was watching it like, there's nothing here I want. Yeah, apart from like a few that I am, like the um, uh, replaced, that kind of cyberpunk one I mentioned earlier, and... Uh, yeah, a few, like the Halo multiplayer and stuff. There are a few like like that that caught me by surprise. I thought, oh, I wouldn't be interested in this. And then they showed it off and they said, oh, it's free. I thought, well, I might, I might as well give that a go. It looks Actually, like it could be I told quite good. a lie. I told a lie. I am interested in Stalker 2. Oh, yes. I'd completely forgotten about that. That was another one showcased at Xbox. Did, did you ever play the first one? I, I can't say No, I but I keep meaning to. I need to um, get a right mod to get rid of some of the bugs. So I can play it properly. It's kind. It's kind of uh, Metro uh, slash Metro Frost of Fallout. Fallout, story. yeah. So that, yeah, I'm not surprised there that that's your kind of uh, thing that you might intrigue you. But yes, yeah. It wasn't my favourite E3. I wasn't blown away. There's a few things I want to keep my eye on, and a few things I'll probably pick up and give a go. Um, but yeah, no heavy, really major heavy hitters from any of the companies, I felt. Which well, I thought was really sad, because I think we could really use with some uh, more video, breaking video game news. 
Oh well, it's always next year, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, uh, wrap, beginning to wrap up for the episode. Do you have any book recommendations for me? For you, I Harry. have. I have the the heroes, which is a, another Joe Abercrombie uh, one that you've recommended. Um, but oh I'll, yeah, yeah. I want you to read that. I think you should read that. That any read any that others? Next. Any others? You any others? Um, Possib- possibly the next. Or, well, any next, any of you that you can think of. Next Dresden Files. Oh. It's been a while since I've read any of those, so maybe. Or um, the Codex Alera, which is also by Jim Butcher, which is an epic fantasy series. You got the next and Poppy War book as well, haven't you? I have. So I'll read that and tell you what it's like. Nice. I will definitely be reading that at some point. Okay. All right. I will read uh, The Heroes at some point. I, ha- I have another short book I want to read beforehand, but um, I'll probably read Is that. Is there anything you particularly want me to read? Uh, well, I, um, I've got a couple of choices for you. I've got a few books on whiskey that I want to read. Um, so it's whether you would be interested in reading one of those as well. Otherwise, do you remember the episode where we talked about Stephen Pressfield and uh, the uh, the war uh, on art? Yes, I remember that, Doug. Yeah. Well, Stephen Pressfield, he has written a mix of both fiction and non-fiction. Now, I've never actually yeah. read any of his fiction... However, I do have a book on my shelf, which is a historical fiction called Man at Arms. And I would quite like to read that. So I was wondering whether you would be intrigued as to test out some of his fiction writing as well. Well, if you want to go down this theme of um, historical fiction, I've got a book on myself by James Clavell, I think it is, Clavell, um, called Shogun which is set is about a Western man who goes to medieval Japan and gets involved in Japanese wars with samurai. Mm-hmm. So I could give that a try. Or I could give another book by Robert Graves, who wrote I, Claudius, um, a, a try, which is a book called Count Belisarius, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is about a Byzantine general. I'm quite interested in reading. And I've heard Shogun mentioned before. I know it's quite a long one, but yeah. shall we give that one a go? Yeah. And if if you yeah. if if you say it's good, then I will probably borrow it from you and read it after as well. Yep. Cool. It's got a really nice cover. Is it of the uh, Tory gates? One of the red gates? No, no, it isn't. But it has got a samurai on it. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool so there we go so our next books are going to be Joe Abercrombie The Heroes and Shogun by who's it by I think it's James Clavell Clavell yeah James Clavell nice cool so those will be our uh, next dis- books for discussion on the next episode well unfortunately I don't have a quote to round up this episode but uh, thank you very much for joining us. I really enjoyed that Glen Scotia. 
I do have a quote. Oh, I'm you sorry, do? Henry, I forgot to mention, I do have a quote. Oh, but it's not whiskey related. That's fine. That's fine. It's Lord of the Rings related. Okay, go ahead. So Tolkien wrote this short poem for uh, about Lord of his book. His book series, Lord of the Rings. It's very childish, so bear with me. So it is. The Lord of the Rings is one of those things. If you like it, you do. If you don't, then you boo. <laughs> you see, but but when I first stumbled upon this quote, I thought I thought the quote was "All the Rings is one of those things. If you like it, you do. If you don't, then boo you." That's what I thought the quote was. <laughs> Which I preferred, actually. I think he sort of swapped those two words around, or screw you, even. Screw <laughs> you. You don't like my books. Well. <laughs> think on that note we'll uh, wrap up thank you very much for joining us and we will see you guys next time bye for now see ya